Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and Nellie Thomas is my guest this week. Nellie has a new children's book that you will hear all, all about. A children's book for adults. That's basically what it is. Some Mums Are Fat Moles is the title of it and you will hear all about it in this episode. Fuck, I love Nellie. She is one of the most intelligent and emotionally intelligent people that I know. She looks at what the problems of the world are. She wants to smash them down. And then she wants to use those parts to rebuild the world in the shape that it should be. And that is something that I'm constantly inspired by. And I love our chats. Uh, this chat, of course, brought to you by Patreon subscribers. Uh, Patreon.com slash philosophy. That is the reason you're getting a catch-up episode. If we get to $5,000 in contributions per month, we will have two regular episodes of philosophy per week. A brand new episode earlier in the week and then a catch-up episode like this one later in the week. We're not quite at 5000 but... We're close. So here's a catch-up episode with Nellie Thomas anyway. It's a bonus episode. And speaking of Patreon bonuses, if you sign up to the Patreon page, you get the episodes a day earlier, you get them ad-free, and you sometimes get some bonuses. Like, for example, a code to my Melbourne International uh, Comedy Festival show, Will Legal, that starts on April the 6th, and it runs until the end of the festival. 12 shows only. It's the return of my show, Will Legal, which is all about... A uh, little uh, flight I took to Wagga Wagga uh, in 2018. Uh, so uh, it all takes place in 36 hours, the entire show, from 12 o'clock midday when I leave Sydney to uh, 12 o'clock midnight the next night when I get home from Sydney. And I tell that tale. It's my favourite show. It's the best show that I've ever done. It is a return season. It is better than ever. So if you've seen it before, come along and have a look at the new version. If you have not seen it before, this is your chance. If you're in Melbourne and you want to see Will Legal, this is the time and place that you can see Will Legal. I've had a lot of people ask me, will I ever tape this show? I don't know is the answer. And I don't know if I do tape it, how much of what I do on stage I'd be able to do uh, in a tape version, whether there'd be stuff that I need to leave out. I'm not really sure, but you can come and see it all live in all its glory at the Art Centre in Melbourne from April the 6th. Uh, the first two nights, the cheaper preview nights, are pretty much full now, or at least will be by Tuesday and Wednesday. But on Thursday next week, there's fuck all people there, to be honest. And so this is what you can do. If you want to come and see the show on Thursday, the 8th of April, when you're booking your ticket, put in the code PODCAST. Now, pretty easy to remember. You're listening to a podcast, you put in the code podcast and you get 25%, a quarter, a full quarter of the cost of that ticket. So Thursday, April the 8th, go there, put the code podcast and you can come along to the show on Thursday for 25% off. There is a limit on these tickets, but there's a bunch of them. So if you want to come on Thursday night, Come on Thursday night, use the code podcast. It also applies the following Wednesday and Thursday. So if you want to come to any of those shows, put in that code podcast. The Patreon subscribers have known about that for a couple of weeks. That is one of the bonuses of joining up to the Patreon page. Monday's episode was with Nina Oyama. She has added an extra show to her Melbourne International Comedy Festival run. So there are limited tickets available to that. But if you want to go and see Nina, get in quickly and she'll be touring around Australia. Speaking of Melbourne International Comedy Festival recommendations, here's some for you. Anna Piper Scott, she's doing a show called Queer and Present Danger. I've actually spoken to Anna for philosophy. Unfortunately, my side of the interview has been lost because... 
I'm terrible at technology. 10 years of doing this shit and still can't record the fucking podcast properly. So anyway, that's disappeared and I'm going to have to redo that, but I'm going to have to find some time to do that and I'm going to have to find some time to do the bonus episodes around the 200th um, as well. Uh, So much great feedback about the podcast around the 200th episode and I do want to do a series of bonus episodes where I respond and read and enjoy and answer some of the questions that is in that correspondence but that will come in the next couple of weeks when I find some time to be able to do that and also uh, re-record my side of Anna's interview and that will be coming out but in the meantime go and see Anna at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival Queer and Present Danger is the name of her show and of course Michelle Brazier will be the new episode that goes up Sunday for Patreon subscribers and Monday for everyone else and Michelle will be starting her show at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival and again around the country so go and check out these incredible uh, you know Uh, female Australian comedians who are doing uh, really brilliant shows and an incredibly diverse uh, lineup of people as well. So there's some recommendations. Also go and say Luke Heggie. He's absolutely fucking brilliant. Hasn't been on the podcast yet, but he's always a guaranteed laugh at the comedy festival. And I'll try to bring you some more recommendations when I get to see some shows as well. But from April the 6th, I will be doing We're Legal. And speaking of shows... I've had a whole lot of people contact me in the last few weeks saying, hey, we've already seen We're Legal and we come and see your show every year at the Comedy Festival and we are disappointed that this year we cannot come along and see you do something new. Why can't you do your improvised show uh, at the Comedy Festival? Why can't you do that? And the truth is that I wanted to do it, but we didn't have a venue available and because of some of the COVID restrictions, venues were limited in... The fact that, well, firstly, people, it was compulsory to wear masks in the show and it's quite hard to do a crowd work show when people are wearing masks, but also venues were limited on how many shows they could put into the venue in a day and turn around those shows. And uh, some of those restrictions have been lifted a little. So I do have an announcement to make on the final Saturday night of the Comedy Festival at 10.30 at the Comedy Theatre the place that I normally play during the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. I think I've played there 10, 11, maybe 12, a dozen times over the years. I love the comedy theatre and I'm pleased to say I will be doing one night only, final Saturday night of the comedy festival, 10.30 at night, a proper old school late night improv show. Some of my thoughts about what's been happening in the last year and a whole bunch of talking to the crowd and making up a show on the spot. So if you want to come along and see me do what you're talking about, Will, at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. If you want to come and see me, but you've already seen We're Legal and you want to come and see a show, well, there is one. It is 10.30 at night at the Comedy Theatre on the final Saturday night. It's going to be a fucking party. We are going to have a very fun time that night. So please come along to that show as well. We have some other podcasts. There is Tofop, there is Fofop, there is Two Guys One Cup, our AFL adjacent podcast, and you can find all the details of all those shows at Tofop.com. The brilliant Daniel Sloss, who has been a previous philosophy guest, is my guest on Fofop next week. And Charlie just did his first Fofop. So uh, he talked to Adam Zwar, who a lot of people will know uh, the brilliant work of Adam Zwar. So Adam Zwar and Charlie on this week's Fofop, and then next week, Daniel Sloss is back. Uh, the brilliant Daniel Sloss is back on Fofop next week. Um, is that it? Is that all the things that I had to plug? Uh, I've talked to you about what you're talking about, Will. I've talked to you about Will Eagle. I've talked about Nina and Anna and Michelle, the Patreon page, Nelly's book. Fuck, I think I've got through everything. All right.
Enjoy this episode with Nellie Thomas. Welcome to Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. This is how the show starts. I ask the guests who they are. Who are you? Oh God, I'm I'm a gin and tonic down, um, and been dealing with a sick dog all night. But my name's Nellie Thomas. That's who I am. Hello. Hello, yeah. Nellie Thomas. We had to start because we'd already started. You know, it was one of those ones where I was like, I better, I better actually do the intro or forget yes. that we're actually meant to be doing a podcast. Welcome back. Thank it you. is nice, it's nice to have to you back, back on the show. It was always great to catch up for a chat. Uh, so let's uh, dive in with what you're plugging, though. Because like, part yeah. of the reason that we're doing it in this time frame is that you have a project yeah. and it needs a bit of attention. Yeah. And I said to you, I think the people who listen to this show, you know, be they know you, it. but also they would be into this idea. Yeah. So tell people about your idea. I, can I just say a side note? This is the one one of the reasons I love you because you just like, let, let's cut through the bullshit. Like we've got to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> let's not, oh, there doesn't mate. need to be any podcast foreplay. Let's just fucking go there. Um, you quite right well firstly i am super fascinated in this project so yeah. it's like it's not like i'm going to have a whole bunch of other questions yeah. that are so much better than what we're talking about right now but yes it is the reason yep. for you being here it let's is. not bury it down the no. back where people might get to in a couple of months yep. we need people to hear about it up the top so what's going on okay so i've written a new book and it is called some mums are fat moles and if anyone wants to hear the delightful Will Anderson reading it, it is, it is up on YouTube. And I took great pleasure, just so much pleasure in watching and listening to you read various lines in the book. Um, but in particular, I think probably talking about hairy snatches, I could see you were I'm guessing a bit uncomfortable saying the word whore, you know? There was a a couple of words where I was like, I'd like this not to be taken out of context. (laughs) Make sure that my voice sounds a little quizzical in the reading of this at least so that if it does come out of context, people might go, there's more to that. You you, you pulled it off. A mutual friend of ours um, of of a similar comedy stature to you, when I sent it to him, he said... You know, I'd do anything for you. Like, I, I love, I love it, I love it, I love you, but I just can't say that. <laughs> like, oh, no. He's like, if someone takes a little clip of that and then you know sends it to the Daily Mail, like off we go. So. Fair enough, but kudos to you for doing it anyway. Maybe not kudos to me. Maybe it is. <laughs> Again, I have these conversations with people. We talk about these incredibly intimate things, and I am often surprised if one of them ends up making the paper yeah. because I forget that other people are hearing this. Yes. And I think it's a bit the same with doing that for you. I'm like, well, yeah, you course. know, and now he's going to put it on her Facebook page and yeah. people will see it there and yeah. it'll plug her project <laughs> and I can't imagine it will ever end up anywhere else and it didn't so far, I guess, fingers crossed. <laughs> Look, if you're not going to run for Prime Minister, I think you're right. But I'm not. I'm, I've ruled that out. It's an interesting, It's an interesting kind of response to the project in general, I think. So why is it that we are uncomfortable with the idea of adult concepts and motherhood being put in the same book 
or conversation. That is actually the point of the book is to kind of go, women do not stop being adults when they give birth. You know, there's a kind of weird cultural cringe. You look at Mother's Day coming up and you go, you'd think all mothers wanted pink slippers and a box of fucking chocolates. Like I want superannuation, you know, I want sweary fun nights with my friends. I want good sex. I want all the things that adults want. So why can't we be spoken to like that? So, So why is it, do you think? What's your particular theory on that? Well, if I had to... If I had to encapsulate it in a kind of, you know, I guess in, in, a, in a brief phrase, it would be Madonna whore. You know, I think we have, and I, I'm assuming most of your listeners will understand what that means. It's this idea that women can be either the Madonna, and I don't mean cone bra, respect yourself Madonna. I mean, you know, <laughs> Madonna OG. Um, so it can be sort of pure... Uh, you know, religious iconography, be virginal, be coy, be beautiful. And that's how we perceive mothers. Or they can be the whore, in other words, hot, you know, and fuckable and um, commodified. And those are your two choices. And once you become a mother, if you're a whore, I mean, it's bad enough to be a whore, but if if you're a mother who's a whore then, you know, there's a lot of social and cultural implications for that. Yeah, for both sides, right? For both sides. Because if, like, say you are somebody who is like a sex worker, like the world's, you know, oldest industry, as they say, but has been so, like, has been part of every culture for the entirety Mm. of humanity and yet is so ostracised from, like, you know, public acceptance, that is tied up in that very same myth because Mm. one has to be all good and perfect and one has to be all bad and horrible. And so it hurts people at both ends of that spectrum, right? Absolutely. And it denies, in both cases, it denies the full humanity of the human being is the point. You know, so, I mean, in both cases it serves, uh, it doesn't serve women, that's for sure, but it is inherently dehumanising to not be able to see a sex worker as a mother and to not be able to see a mother as an adult, you know, which is really what we're talking about. Like, I find it really interesting. So when I've pitched this to some publishers, you know, and I've I've got a reasonable publishing track record, so, like, I'm not going in blind, uh, not going in cold, the response has kind of been, mm, oh, that's so funny. Like, it's so fun. I just love it. It's so funny. Like, there's a real market for it, but how would we market it? You know, can you change the title, for example? Almost like, can you trick people into buying it by taking the fat mole out of the title? Just call it some mums. And then but I'm don't like... don't you do the... <laughs> isn't, isn't the whole point the opposite? I mean, yeah. again, I'm pr- probably telling... You know, the one person who does not hear this, need to hear me say this, but it's so ridiculous even from a marketing point of view. Yes. Because if your market is not the regular market, yeah. you don't need to access the regular market. No. You have to access all those people who aren't being served by the regular market. Yes. How do you market it? 
you get Andrew Bolt to write a fucking blog about it. <laughs> and then everybody buys it as a protest because they hate Andrew Bolt. Like yes. every progressive like mother yes. who feels like disenfranchised yeah. goes, here's this thing that Andrew Bolt hates. Hey, yeah. on, this is something I might actually want to read to my kids and you know, yeah. let them know about the actual real world. And yeah. all those people who don't buy the usual books because they don't serve them or yeah. you know what they believe about the world suddenly have something for them. Is well, that not the market? Of course it is. That it not is. how you'd market it? Of course, it, that's exactly how you'd market it, which is free for a start. Free, you know, like you just get bloody Piers Morgan to get onto it, and off we I'll go. All get onto it, like internationally. <laughs> start getting your contracts together. You're telling me Piers won't be interested in this, or Tucker Carlson won't be interested yeah. in this. Get involved in the culture wars yeah. and then monetize it totally. as capitalism wanted. <laughs> Thank you, Will. Thank you. And that's how you bring down patriarchy. Um, but I think, well, for a start, it's deceptive, you know, because I think if you get a mum who does want um, fluffy pink slippers and a box of chocolates to buy this book and then she opens it up, she's going to be pissed off, quite rightly, mm. you know. So I say just as you would say to someone as a human being be who you are people take it or leave it like this book isn't for everyone you know um yeah the only way it makes anyone mad is if you pretend it's something that's other than exactly what it right is. that's exactly right and missy chi who you and i both love and adore and any comedy fans listening um will understand the reference i mean they're on the front cover for fuck's sake like you couldn't get two more wrong women a representation of two more kind of out there edgy women to put on on the front of a book. So I don't want to be deceptive and I have been that way with all of my work. I think I said to you once when we when we talked first, the first time we spoke, this sounds more cynical than I meant it to be, but niche is cash, you know, like know who you're talking to and talk to them well rather than trying to talk to everybody. Well, I mean, this is the world as we know it now, right? Yeah. And it, it, it can be very problematic, obviously. Mm. You know, the idea of, you know, bubbles where we only hear our own opinions spouted back at us and that can become incredibly destructive. I live in a part of the world where you can see the incredible ramifications of the wellness industry getting involved yes. in anti-vax conspiracies and QAnon and stuff like that. Yeah. And yeah. ordinary people having their thinking just completely out of whack from what is really going on in society and mm. believing it, you know, believing it because why wouldn't they believe it when everybody that they hang out with and everybody that talks to believes the same thing? And you yeah. can see it, you know, with you know, people who end up standing, you know, politicians and, you know, like they, they buy into this ideology that these politicians are perfect people. And, yes. that, you know, if you if you say that they have done something wrong or that you call them on one of their actions, they think that you are somehow then an enemy of that particular politician. Yes. Like we see we see the bad sides of it, but it yeah. is also what the world is, is asking for, which is mm. we want stuff that specifically serves us. And if there's a niche there that's big enough, you can sell a lot of books to people I would have thought well and also I think I mean I start from from the starting point um you know that I kind of I think as my um activism I guess as well as my comedy have evolved over the years I actually think I used to try and do everything you know so when you've got mm -hmm. that power 
that sense of possibility when you're sort of late teens and 20s and you're an art student and all the rest and you think you're going to change the world and you know <laughs> my two contact hours a week really fucking help me back you know all that stuff um i would be involved in everything Whereas now I realise, A, I've got limited time and energy, but also I actually think I'm more effective um, focusing on particular areas. And my big passion is challenging gender roles. And I could tell you why, you know, all the reasons why I think that's important, but that's my big focus. And this book's part of that. And even the idea of being a feminist and able to be funny is in itself um, necessary, I think, at the moment. Well, it's also, it's a form of Madonna whore, right? Yeah. It's another subcategory of that, which yes. is that, like, you know, to be a feminist, you have to be humorless, right? Yes. That's the... Yes. You can't be, you know, one or the other and you get in trouble if you try to combine the two. And yeah. Look, you know, I mean, I don't even need to say regardless of what people think of Clementine Ford, like because yeah. even that is like not the sort of, like what, it, I, I like Clem and yeah. I think she's funny, but yeah. it's often the things that she's Sorry, doing. Sorry, Will, this is just Chewy coming to say hello. Cause oh, hello, Chewy. He's Chewy's had a big a operation cone. and he's got the cone of shame on. Sorry, bud. Yeah, no. How, how long's Chewy? How long's Chewy had the cone on? Just recently. Just from last night. He's not happy. He's oh, not happy. So, we had Ramona in a cone for. She had a grass seed in her leg, like the oh. tiniest little grass seed, but it got infected. And anyway, it was two weeks in oh, this cone. Oh yeah, yeah. He's got to do like, two weeks. Yeah. I mean, she got used to it after a while, but she did uh, not like it. No. Every time it went on, she was just like... Mwah. Chewy's still drunk, <laughs> like from the from yeah. the anaesthetic, so he can't yeah. quite, he keeps banging into shit and he can't quite try and get it off, but I can see as he's going to wake up, it's going to be trouble. Um, now, what were you saying about Clem? Uh, I think Clem's really funny. Yeah, she is. And But she's very you know, provocative in her yeah. humour. yeah. And it can be very bleak and uh, black and unapologetic and all those things. Yeah. And it's the stuff that is most often weaponized against her. Yes. It's not her serious academic critiques of, you know, um, of you know max- masculinity yeah. or, you know, behavior in boys or any of these sort of things that they tend to really have problems with. No. It is the stuff that she does, which is funny. Yeah. And they just refuse to see it as being a joke or being funny yeah. and then they're the things that get quoted back as if she said them seriously. No, that's right. Then they take it literally. I mean, that's the low-hanging fruit, isn't it? It's like, oh, you know, crazy feminist wants the prime minister to die, you know, or right. all men are actually rapists or whatever. And I think you're right. It is the Madonna whore thing. If I think about it now, even with the publishers, I think part of their pushback with me has been, but you're a children's author. Mm. You know, so you're a children's author doing this book that's got like swearing in it and sexual content and, you know, pubes and bloody what and, and all the other stuff. But those are the things that stand out. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm a comedian first. You know, like I'm a comedian, I'm a mum, I'm a children's author, I'm a speaker, I'm a, I'm all these things. None of us are one thing. Aren't we grown up enough to understand that? But I don't actually think we are, Will. I don't think we are, and I think that's quite... I wonder, actually, and I'd ask you, I think it's gendered. I think... No, I absolutely think it is. I think Madonna Whore, I think it's why I'm so interested that you brought that up as Mm. being at the core of the project, is I think it is the most uh, deceptively 
destructive thing in our entire society. Mm. I think Ooh, that's that it a big is call. so so ingrained mm. like so many of the things that you you know you spend half your life learning you know good habits and bad habits and then yeah. you hope hopefully spend the second half of your life you know kind of trying to, trying to get a rain on some yeah. of those you know bad habits you know like i mean the one that comes to mind is just like i've thrown myself fully into learning about australia and you know uh, the original owners of this you know, country and their story and really educating myself properly but i'm fucking 47 yeah like I, like i'm glad i've got to it yes but i'm kind of a bit ashamed that i did not get to it earlier that i yeah. did not realize that this was and so you're constantly checking and unlearning or learning these things that you mm. didn't learn or unlearning things that were you know bad that you, you and so i think when it comes to women one of the ones that you just don't know that you're constantly learning as a young man is Madonna Hall. Yes. And that you're learning as a young woman, that you're also learning as a young woman. I mean, and this is the thing. I mean, the, the whole idea that those gender roles, I mean, if I, if I'm going to get academic about it, the thing that we know is that rigid adherence to gender roles underpins violence against women. Um, and as many feminists have suspected, myself included, and is now being borne out in the research, it also underpins poor mental health in men, right? So when we hear about seven men a day in Australia killing themselves, what we don't have enough discussion about is how was that guy raised? In what cultural context was he raised? How did he view being a man? How did he view talking about mental health? How did he view masculinity? So now the research is really clear, regardless of, you know, remember we used to think, oh yeah, domestic violence happened in poor communities or it happened in communities with people with brown skin or it happened somewhere over there. Now we know those things are not determining factors. The things that are determining factors are adherence to those gender roles. So if you're raised in a context where you go, well, Will, you've got to be tough. And when the bushfires come through, you're the one who's the man of the house and you're going to save the joint. And if you don't, you've fucking failed and you're no good to anybody. And Nellie, you've got to be kind all the time and you've got to be submissive. And you've got to be, when you become a mother, you've got to give up everything else. And if you fail at that, then you're no good to anyone. And then we wonder why everyone feels like shit. Right. You know, so (laughs) like it makes perfect sense to me. Like it's not, it denies our humanity. So I kind of think in my own little way, in my own corner of the universe, um, I'm good at challenging that. Like you got to know what you're good at. I'm good at that stuff. I'm good at articulating it. I know how to do it. Um, so focus in on that and do it. Well, because this is what it's at, at the heart of the book, though, isn't it? Yeah. It's really this idea that all these people happen to have something in common, their yeah. mums. Yeah, but that's, that's But now there are all these other things as well. And yeah. they should not feel the pressure, as you said, to be in the pink slippers yeah. on Mother's Day because that just might make your life miserable. And you're comparing yourself to something that is completely unnecessary for yourself. Like the misery, and we yes. all do it. Yes. Like we all yes. do it and the, the it's not just around this, but mm. like constantly make ourselves miserable by not living up to a standard that yeah. only we are holding ourselves to. Yeah. Well, I mean, society is more yeah. broadly. I understand that, but yes. I, but yes, it is, has been ingrained in us. Yeah. I'm not saying that we're just creating 
these yes. things. They have been ingrained in us. Yeah. But we have the power to not give them as much power over us. Well, I think if we can ha- start to have that power if we laugh at them. So yeah. one, and you know, you and I have talked about this in relation to comedy before, but like one of the lines in the book is, oh, you know, you work too much or not enough, you know, and to me that's a classic I mean, if I do say so, because I wrote it, it's like, <laughs> that's a terrible thing to say. What I've got to say is that's a classic. In fact, it's, it's the perfect classic. encapsulation of this entire point in such a cleverly worded and balanced so line. It's a reversal of language and yet the succinctness of language is just, there's a parallel in it, there's a double, it's musical. <laughs> Nelly Thomas, Stop I'm it. Nelly Thomas. Stop it, Bill Anderson. <laughs> but you're right. That came out far more wanky than I meant it to. Um, but for me, that certainly encapsulates how I felt as a quote-unquote modern mother and how lots yeah. of my mum friends feel where you kind of got, you can't fucking win. You can't win. If you're too sexy, you're a whore. If you're not sexy enough, you're dowdy. If you work too much, you're neglecting your kids. If you don't work, you're lazy. You know, if you've got pubes, you're bloody old school. If you don't have pubes, you're some victim of porn. If you like, there is no way to it. You're not allowed to use a dummy, but make sure you breastfeed, but don't use a bottle. Like, there's so much stuff comes at you. And it's so contradictory that even if you wanted to, you couldn't win. We're basically the Harry and Meghan, you know, of, of like there's no winning this shit. So I kind of think laugh at it where you can point out the absurdity of it like all good clowns should do and take some of the pressure off. Who's judging? So this is, oh, I guess, the question at the heart of this. Mm. Because if you can't win, if these are the unrealistic expectations that we have of people, yeah, who is, who is the judge? Like, who is making these judgments? Yeah, interesting question. Different people at different times. I mean, I can give you some examples. Like, I remember when I remember one Christmas, I was so overwhelmed, you know, with like doing everything and trying to make the Christmas great for the kids and all the rest of it. And I was going out to buy a present for my mother-in-law. And I said to my partner, I'm like, oh, fucking hell, she's not even my mum. Like, what am I doing? You know, like, I've got to go get this bloody prep. And he said to me, well, just don't do it. Like, yeah. it's okay, just don't do it. That enraged me, Will. Absolutely. Because on the one hand, I go, you're totally right. Like, just bow out of this system. On the other hand, you go, yeah, but it's not you who'll be judged. It is me around that Christmas dinner table who will be judged, even though you're his, her son. It is me who will be judged in the same way that if the kids go to school with nits, no one's ringing dad and going, why haven't you put a knit comb through the hair? So you're right, you can opt out, but you, there are cultural consequences to that. This shit is real. It's funny. I was just a couple of nights ago. I don't always watch a lot of stand-up. Yeah. But uh, uh, a friend of mine, but also just a guy whose stand-up I adore, is an American guy called Nate Bogatze. Yeah. And Nate is... like The the, the Tennessee Kid, I think, was the name of his special that I watched the other night. And like his way of looking at the world 
it's kind of the flip on what you've just said. He has this great joke. He's around that idea of like something going wrong with one of his kids at the school and the school having both his numbers and his wife's number and that they called him. Right. And he was like, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, he's like, you had the choice. Like, you know, like, what made you think I would have this information? Yeah. You know, and and the, the routine is great, but yeah. it is the other side of the very thing that you're talking yeah. about, which is we talk that we about... have as a society, even if you do have dad's number and mum's yeah. number, the expectation would be that you would ring mum in that situation. Absolutely you would. And we talk about things, I mean, we you know, we hear this phrase all the time. It was just International Women's Day. We know during COVID the workload for, for women, especially women with children, went through the bloody roof. We talk about mental load, but I don't even know if anyone knows what it means, you know? So like to me, an example of me shopping on, you know, Christmas Eve for my mother-in-law is not actually my mother's Christmas present and then worrying about the ramifications if I don't get one, that's an example of mental load and then times that by a thousand. I will say though, getting older, I'm the same age as you, 47 this year, I have absolutely started to go, oh, fuck it. You know what I mean? Like that, there's a line in that Adele has a great song and she says, um, oh, what does she say? She says, I'm getting old. It makes me reckless, you know? And I really do feel like, I think a lot of women go through this in their forties. They start to shed some of that stuff and kind of go, fine, let's rock up to Christmas day without the present and see what happens. You know, let's just. I feel like the pandemic might accelerate that. It might not just be older people. I think it will be older people, definitely, but I think it was going to be a whole bunch of people who had a year to think about what they missed and what they did not miss, and they're going to come back and lean into the things, probably maybe harder and more recklessly, into the things that they love. Yeah. You know, do them. And experience them like they may never get to experience them again because yeah. they've had they've had that. Yeah. But it, they might not bother to do some of the other things. Yeah. That they did not miss at all. Totally. That'll be interesting if that does happen. Let's yeah. say that is predominantly what happens. People lean into the things that excite and interest them, and they lean away from the things that sort of bore them and don't fulfil them. I wonder what the world would look like if we yes. went a little bit more in that. Pre- if we did do maybe more it'd of be that worse. letting go. Yeah, there is a bit of it that sounds <laughs> real dangerous. <laughs> There's a bit of it that leads to the kind of nihilistic, you know, ju- yeah. just sit out the back smoking cones all day. Um, you know, maybe that's what we should be doing. Let me ask you this. So you've read the book. You've read it out loud. Yeah. What do you think is the thing that's resonated most with the people that I've shared it with? So it's now been shared with, I don't know, a few thousand people. What do you think? Is it the work-life balance? Is it the, what, what do you think they've responded to? That's a really good question. Um, I, I honestly don't even know where to start. What, what is it? Tell me what it is. It is the hairy snatch. And I find that now out of context, that sounds really weird for people listening, but there's a page 
Out of context, it actually sounds a little bit better. It's <laughs> something that could be just in Harry Potter or something. You know, Harry Potter and the Harry Snatch. <laughs> could, Harry I'd be snatch. like, okay, it must be they, after Quidditch, they throw around the Harry Snatch or something. I'd be fine with that. But I would not Google Harry Potter and the Harry Snatch. I would not, no. <laughs> I would not be doing that. Authorities are knocking on my door. <gasps> my gosh. Um, Milf, that's a whole I, other I, thing. I would not have gone to that. Neither would I. At all as being Neither a thing would that I. people would have. But there's been, it's like um, I did an interview the other day and the woman interviewing me said, oh, it was so cathartic to read that. So just for context, the page, it goes, um, some women have a hairy snatch, some women like to wax, and then there's other stuff about it. And again, you know, like yourself, everything I write and, you know, say on stage is thought through. And it's very deliberate for me to put that in because I think that there's a lot of um, pressure on women to have certain type of body and there's a pressure on women maybe to um, pretend that they're not adult, if I can put it that way. And that's an interesting discussion in itself. But I didn't expect that to be the thing that so many women in particular that I've shared it with have gone, oh, Thank God. Just as a side note, I used to do sexual health shows for like 10 years and um, I remember a sexual health nurse said to me, I can tell someone's age by their snatch. But I'm like, really? <laughs> she goes, oh, yeah. If they're bold, they're like, what did she say? 80, no, 1987 or older. <laughs> and I've got, okay, okay, this is interesting. Um, but there's cultural wow. pressures even around pubes. I mean, it'd be the opposite where I live. I mean, I'm yeah. right near Mull- Mullumbimby, so I don't think I think we might throw the survey results out if we yes. if we tried it around my way. But true, true. That's it is right. interesting. Like it's even interesting. that that ingrained relationship with body hair. Like yeah. I know as a man, like yeah. in my sort of you know like going through puberty and like being you know shown what was like you know. So my timing of that is that. We had an era of like, you know, girly magazines, you know, yes. like Penthouse, like Playboy. That was the sort of pornography that I was exposed to yeah. as a teenager. You know, some guy had a Penthouse magazine or something. And they would have all, had 70s bush. All full bush back yeah, then. So my absolutely. entire formative years. Yeah. But then like the invention of the internet, like yeah. pornography becoming yeah. more widespread, like, you know, then that sort of thing. So, so much of like the last 20 years, but it, it, for a while... Like I was like when I saw somebody who had like natural hair, whether like on their legs or like under their arms or whatever, like there was this ingrained thing in me. Again, this is what I mean by the stuff that like where I would have a uh, like sort of reaction Yeah. until one day I just like, I don't know, I I guess I just got over it or whatever, but, but I never was on it. Like my er reaction wasn't based on me ever having sat down and gone, Mm. I have an opinion one way or the other about this. It was literally something that I had been brainwashed to have that reaction up until that point. And then one day it just went away, which I'm, I'm glad about, but um, it'd be a tough time where I live. (laughs) If that was an issue in my life, we can, we can argue about QAnon and anti-vaxxing, but let's not get on the body here. I'm happy for you to whatever you want to do. Everyone's fine. Everyone's fine. I think it's, look, it's on the one hand, it's trivial, but on the other hand, it's an example, I think of the everydayness 
of those kind of gender roles that we were talking about. And like you say, they're unconscious. You know, the fact that I remember watching, in fact, one of the first jokes I ever did was about Big Brother. And it was a terrible joke, but it was basically a joke about Big Brother had just started and me kind of going, oh, they, you know, they're pretending that they don't have like wax and tweezers and whatever. You know, if I was in there for that long, I'd have a pair of hair shorts. You know, funny, funny, hilarious. Wasn't good at all. But I remember a discussion on that where one of the guys, this was 2002, and I remember one of the guys saying that if he hooked up with a girl on a one-night stand and she had any pubic hair at all, he would get out of the one-night stand. Like he wouldn't follow through with it. Now, Will, I don't want to give too much away about my own sex life, but I would say I have never in my life met a man, a straight man, who's knocked back vagina, right, of any kind. So this shocked me. It really shocked me. And I kind of thought it was a joke, but I remember talking to people at the time and going, no, absolutely, this is a thing. Well, I think it's because he was probably just of that era, maybe just enough of that era. Yes, the other thing, like there was this kind of broad societal marketing push that, yes. that was unattractive. Yes. That, that was like not clean or it was unattractive or it was whatever. But I think that's only increased since then. And, you know, like you say, and I'm not even making a judgment about porn one way or the other, but it's pretty rare that you'd see any, uh, any pubic hair on a woman in porn, for example. And yet, on the other hand, we've got clearly a whole heap of women who are actually adult women <laughs> running around with pubes how are they feeling about themselves so my view was how are they feeling about their sexuality i'm like okay you're not going to get this in a hallmark card at mother's day are you your hairy snatch is all right i'm putting that in this book if that makes well, particularly sense particularly when you're like i imagine most of the, see this is the confusing messages, not that we're talking to, you know, kids necessarily about yeah. whether snatches are hairy or otherwise, yeah. but like I, rem- I have memories of seeing my parents. My parents weren't particularly naked people, yet yeah. I saw them naked a bunch of times when I was a kid. Yeah. Like I don't have a lot of like, you know, really early childhood memories, but I have memories of like, you know, walking in on your parents, like, you know, when they're naked and kind of seeing adult bodies and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and they look like, you know, they have hairy snatches, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, <laughs> Like that's what you're seeing, so it's not like a weird message. I really message hope to your be... mum's listening to this. Well, I'm sorry, mum. I don't mean that in a you know in particularly about you, but I just mean, I guess anyway, whatever. Yes. I just mean that you know these are normal people with normal bodies, particularly yes. if you've got a family. Yeah. Even probably less pressure to be you know if you're not out dating those sort of things. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Chances are that even if you're a person that beforehand was like you know waxing the bikini line, maybe yeah. you've had a couple of kids and you're in a like a relationship and that's just not what you're doing anymore. Yeah. So I'd imagine more often than not if kids are seeing their parents bodies they do look like that yes and you know we're going to try to teach them that bodies are normal and natural and yeah you know all these sort of things along the journey so something that reflects that should just it just shouldn't be controversial well i think that's the point that it shouldn't be controversial and i think and let me be clear you know if you want a bloody you know laser the shit out of you oh, yeah. but Each, go for yeah. it you know, I have no, no, no. no But that's problem. the point, that everybody that's should be point. able to do what they want to do. That is the point. And it's not as simple as, oh, well, I just made that choice. 
Is it something you've thought about? Where did it come from? Where did this idea that there's something wrong? Because we end up getting then into, oh, well, if, you know, I want to have rhinoplasty, it's my choice, which it is. But we also need to think about that choice. Where did you get the idea there was something wrong with your face? You know, where did you get the idea there's something wrong with your tits? Where did we get the, like, we have to unpack. This is a difficult thing for feminism, I think, this sort of um, balancing of choice, which is the ultimate goal, but no choice comes out of a vacuum. Yeah, I think that, I guess it is, and, you know, it's not just a feminism issue. It's an Mm. issue, like, when we talk about a whole bunch of things in society. Yeah. um, You know, I say mostly to just protect myself from suddenly being a man spouting off about what all feminism is about. (laughs) (laughs) No, please tell me. Please tell me Uh, all about it. Well, no, what I was going to say is that you can support somebody's freedom to choose. Yes. While also working at dismantling yes the bad information they're getting that is leading to them making bad choices so i it has a parallel with how i'm relating to people who have bad ideas up here like you can be a good good person with a whole bunch of bad ideas and yes you should be able to believe what you want about the world i believe what i want about the world and all these sort of things but at the moment this choice that you think you're making really willingly, yes. you have been led here by dangerous actors manipulating you in yes. ways that you're not aware of. Yes. And so is it devaluing your right to choose what you think and believe and all these sort of things by me trying to dismantle those things? Mm. I, I would argue that it isn't. Mm. I want you to just be able to make a better choice yourself. Mm. Mm. I don't want to dictate what your choice is. I'm not going to tell you what to do. No. I just want you to get better information before you actually exercise that choice. That's right. I'm not going to make a Did law. Did I get out of it? Yes, I I you absolutely got out of it. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to get out of it. I absolutely don't think there should be a law you know, saying you can't get a boob job, for example, but I will 100% talk to my daughters, um, any other woman, anyone at any opportunity about why I think you don't need to, I think is, is the point. Um, and again, it's hard to talk about these things without sort of trivializing them because you come down to individual choices, but all those individual choices add up and they are part of a bigger system. And before you know it, Aunt Lydia's in charge, you know, like I don't want to get like too over the top, but we only have to look at what's been happening. You know, the last couple of weeks um, for any human being, but I tell you what, for any woman and certainly for any feminist, the last couple of weeks of news, oh, you know, it's been, I mean, heartbreaking doesn't even cover it, you know, and this shit, whether we like it or not, it's all tied up together. It really is. I, I the collective weight of it yeah i think has been very apparent yeah. that's what i would say is that uh you can see that there is just in fact i'll i'll tell you an example from my own life you'll i think you'll engage with this story also so i did my first show my first full show for it would have been a year or a week later so it was a long congratulations. time congratulations Thank you. It was fun and I was doing Well Legal, which is just a yeah. story that like I've told a whole bunch of times before. So, you know, I was a little bit nervous about it, just mm. being back and doing a full show and all these sort of things. And there was one point where I improvised a line 
like it came off something i can't even remember what exactly happened to be honest but it's an example of me like i could do the show really well but this was an example of me just not being you know having been back full time my instincts all in the right place because i was yep. in canberra and I can't remember what the line was. It was on the side. The line was on the side of the angels. Like yep. the intention of the line was on the side of the angels. Yep. Like if you, even if you listened to, to the joke, I wasn't like making, like the joke wasn't about anybody who, but what I hadn't, so this is the point I wanted to make. Yep. I don't think the joke itself was particularly terrible, particularly as it was improvised and everybody understood and I reacted to the moment. And, mm. But somebody online afterwards just kind of like, yeah, pointed it out. And I mm. thought that they made a pretty fair point because what I hadn't, I think, taken into account is just at the moment, just don't even like, you know, you talked before about the role of humour. Yeah. Unless you have the greatest joke in the world that is going to completely categorise every aspect of how you feel about this and mm. you've really fucking thought it out and you've come to mm. stage with this, you know, fully formed idea, mm. then just shush it. Yeah, just don't, don't wing mention, it. Don't even mention anything at all. Yeah. Don't even hint about it. Don't use it as a joke about anything else because... Yep. Even if that joke isn't specifically, you know, like mm. a poor joke. Do you mean like? Yeah, no, I do. I know exactly. You've what got you to mean. understand that it's not just shush it. It's not your time to, like, you got something decent to say. Have a think about something to say and come and say it. But mm. just don't, just shush mm. it a bit. <laughs> like you know, I, I think that's of- <laughs> where people are at. You know, shut the. If you don't have anything productive yes. to do to help, shut the fuck up. Yeah, shut the fuck up. A hundred percent. Although I sort of feel like that could be a. I feel like I want a T-shirt. If you haven't got anything to say, just shush it, you know, because that applies in this area, but so many other areas. But it's interesting, isn't it, going back full circle to the idea of Madonna whore. I mean, one of the things that's always troubled me and why I'm passionate about this issue is that I think a particular, it's quite class-based, but it's across the board, there's a kind of idea among some sections of young men, I think, that you treat your wife or girlfriend well, um, but your bit on the side or your one night stand or the slag you picked up at the pub deserves whatever's coming to her. And I certainly grew up with that kind of both consciously and unconsciously put in my face. And I think the reason I have felt like so many women just so devastated in the last few weeks with the Brittany Higgins allegations and others um, is because I think, fuck, my daughters are still going to be facing this shit. Like you hear how people talk about it, talking about alcohol, what what they were wearing, whether they went into a car, you know, all of these kinds of things. And it, it just comes back to this prevailing idea. There's some women who deserve respect and they're usually patronised and I'll care for them. And they're the mothers actually will, you know, going back to this discussion. And then there's some others who like, well, you know, what do you expect? What did you expect and- to happen? It wasn't just you. That's. I guess this is what I was getting at when I talked about Madonna Hall before, is that it's also ingrained into, like, young men of my generation yeah. definitely still had it ingrained into them. Yeah. And, like, I've seen it play out in my own life. I've seen it play out in, yeah. like, my contemporaries' lives. Like, Same. That, that exact thing. Same. And, like, that's a tough thing to reckon with. And yeah. I think it's, like, an important thing to reckon with. I've yeah. had conversations with friends of mine, you know, of my age who have come to the realization that you know like you know that come on like there was at least in in this aspect there mm. was times where people behaved very badly and we yeah. did not think it was a problem yes and 
And so that's like, but then you see it, it worldwide as well. I, mm. I watched that Britney, speaking of Britney's a different oh. Britney, but the Britney Spears you know, documentary about her life. And I just forgotten yeah. how much part of the popular culture and I'm sure yeah. myself included like yeah. Glasshouse still would have been around then I wonder yeah. if we made some terrible joke about Britney Spears yeah. probably oh like, right we, we all did like, and like, I would have as well and no doubt and but to look back on it yeah. and have it recontextualized and yeah. just think as a world did we think it was okay to overly well, we overly sexualize yeah like personally overly sexualize this young woman yeah and then completely take sport in you know destroying her and seeing yeah. her fall apart yeah and, and watching it through no fault of her own yeah like through nothing yeah. that she ever did other than wanting to like entertain people yeah. basically was what she wanted to do yeah and and she we was thought it was kid. funny and we laughed and I like know. people these grown men these yeah. grown men that i admire like yeah. you know people like david letterman people like yeah. that but you know, you look yep. back at what was considered to be completely appropriate at the time and mm. just go, fucking hell. Mm. Mm. Like, oh, and all of that, like that sort of lecherous stuff of, oh, haven't you got pretty eyes and all this kind mm. of, and it's like, this is a 15 year old girl and you're 175. Fuck off. Like, what is going on here that you think that this is okay? Um, but I think where. I mean, she got a lot of that bad mum. If we're talking about, oh, you know, like bad. that's that's you know, this your book is really tied up in, you know, what she got as an incredible backlash that she yeah. was like, she was an inappropriate parent. Yeah. The way that she was a yes. parent, the way that she presented herself, the way that she looked after her children was, in the eyes of society, not appropriate. Yeah, that's right. She didn't fit the role. She didn't take on the mum role. I would say in popular culture, um, ironically, given that she's a mother of so many children, I think Angelina Jolie is a similar example. You know, mm. it's like a blood sport kind of paying out on her and how, you know, she doesn't fit that kind of mum stereotype either. And could there be anything worse? You know, why aren't we talking about, I mean, Letterman's a dad. Why aren't we talking about a dad talking to a young woman like that? Does that make him a terrible dad? You know, does that make him unfit to be around children? Why aren't we talking about, you know, Scott Morrison having no empathy unless he's thinking about his kids? Is he a terrible dad? I'm not saying even that he is. I'm just saying why do we have this conversation um, from such a one-sided kind of point of view? So how do how does that change? I mean, apart from you know you getting your book published, yeah, and, uh, like you know, <laughs> that's going to change the world, completely revolutionising uh, you know the way that people think in our society. But you know, bar that, aside yeah. from that, how, what do we do? It's all of this stuff, isn't it? I mean, I, I was listening a couple of days ago to your fabulous philosophy with um, Steph Tisdall, who I'm a massive fan of, and I loved loved your question to her about you know basically can we do anything you know can we actually affect change and it's been rare it's been a long time since I've heard anyone just unequivocally say as Steph did absolutely we can absolutely we can you know that full of hope full of vigor full of pain full of anxiety as well you know, it's not some bloody positive psychology, talk yourself out of it bullshit, but just going, of course we can, this is what I'm going to do. And I always go back to, you know, there's the anthropologist Margaret Mead said, um, 
never doubt that a small group of committed people can change the world because it's the only thing that ever has. So when I go through like what I've been through in the last few weeks, um, what everyone's been through in the last few weeks, and I really do bloody despair, I honestly do, I then get my shit together and go, nah, you can't just, you know, you can't give up. You can't give up. The only thing you can do is affect change as, as much as you can in your own way, knowing what you're good at. And I guess I come back to that, Will. It's like, I know it's important, you know, it's very Australian for us as comedians to be self-effacing and kind of go, oh, you know, I'm not very good at this or that. No, no, I'm a good communicator. So are you. I'm good at reading the room. I'm good at reading the zeitgeist, whatever the fuck it is. Use your skills. I don't need to be down. And I used to do this. I used to work in a women's refuge. There's people better at that than me. You know, there's people who are better at that than me. Where I can affect the most change, get most bang for my buck, is talking, writing, doing stuff on the radio, doing this sort of stuff, doing my books, doing what I can with my kids and my community. And it does change. Things do change. It just feels slow. And then sometimes it feels faster. And it's true. that's kind of amazing. Mm. I... Uh, on Australia Day, January 26th, uh, went to uh, not a, an Australia Day celebration. Yeah. Uh, we uh, no, we went to uh, catch up with a friend, uh, and um, we realised that um, one of the friends still had their kids in sort of you know Australia flag sort of stuff, and where we where we were was a yeah a kind of more progressive area, I guess at least around those ideas, and. Because they were the only ones, my friend had this like really quite good conversation with, you know, this other person, you know, who had initially gone in a little hot, to be honest, like mm. was about to, I was like, there was a bit of you that was like, they're kids, they don't really know, yeah. like, let them yeah. be, you know, but yeah. this person wanted to make a point about, you know, how they didn't think it was appropriate the kids were wearing what they were wearing. And my friend, who's a lovely person who just didn't quite have their head around it either, you know, was... Um, had a conversation with them and I was literally watching it in front of my face going I can't imagine three years ago and I know if I was in a different place it would be the opposite perhaps you know but um, I can't imagine three years ago five years ago like this being you know somebody walking in and it being the predominant the other way yes that you know that that conversation would happen and yes so you do see I mean nowhere near quick enough for those Mm. who are disenfranchised by Mm. these things but I mean I think the more broad understanding and acceptance of trans issues has been something that i have been amazed at the pace happen so quickly i'm sure for trans people and their personal experiences Mm. that is a completely naive Mm. thing to say but just externally Mm. observing it culturally yeah no i think that's true i think that's true it's a good example Um, I mean, I think even in this space, you know, one of the reasons I quite frankly became a feminist in the first place, um, aside from the fact that, you know, I was corrupted at university, is that um, both my grandmothers were subjected to horrendous family violence, absolutely horrendous family violence. And, you know, one of them, my paternal grandmother, like I don't even have a photo of her will. You know, I don't really know anything about her. She died at around my age. You know, she wasn't murdered by my grandfather, but she absolutely died prematurely. 
um, as a result of family violence. And I think, think of her when she was going through that, nowhere to go. Not only nowhere to go, no one would have given a shit. People would have absolutely known what was happening. There was no hiding what was happening to her and to my dad and, and his brothers. Um, there were authorities involved and all the rest of it. There was no, there would have been no place for her to go literally, but also no sympathy, empathy, anything for her. If I were in that situation now, it would be by no means perfect, but I would have more options. And that is in a couple of generations. And even though that feels glacially slow, that is actually when you look historically quick. Does that make sense? Like that is Mm -hmm. change. It is not acceptable to perpetuate family violence anymore in most contexts. When you and I grow up, grew up, at the most it would have been that's not my business. And there certainly was a lot of attitude of, yeah, oh, well, you know, what'd she do? She piss him off? She's a handful. Yeah, and, but also what you're saying about, like, jokes around, like, yeah. acceptance of jokes around domestic violence. Like, yeah. I remember, yeah. like, as a kid, like, laughing at, I'm not saying no. that I, like, was smart enough to understand that this was yeah. not an appropriate thing to say, but there was that famous joke about, you know, what do you tell a woman with two black eyes? Yeah. Nothing, you've already told her twice. Twice, right? that's, that's the, right. It's hard. It's a like, yeah, I remember thinking that was really funny because everyone yes. else thought it was really funny. That's right, because all the adults around like, you were laughing. You look back on it now mm. and you think that's just like mm. a horrific thing, like, mm. I mean, to say, oh, <laughs> like, to imagine. To, absolutely. Like, but, but to perpetuate as being comedic. Yes. But that's because it was commonplace. I mean, it still is commonplace. This is where it's hard to talk about it because we know it's still an epidemic. But I think it is an example of cultural change um, and particularly in the last, I would say in Australia, say 20 years, there's been massive attitudinal change toward that violence. It's still too high. It's still not taken as seriously as, you know, one punch coward attacks and all of that kind of stuff, and Mm -hmm. it should be. Um, But you can't deny the progress either. And I think it is. it would be wrong of us to deny the progress because, A, you dismiss all the work done by the pioneers who've given their fucking lives to this thing, building refuges with their own money, you know, in the 70s and just taking women in and, you know, defending themselves from guys with shotguns, literally. You deny their work, but you also deny to the people who've got money and influence that it can change. You know, things can change and they have changed and there are more options now and the conversation is happening and we've got to remember that, you know, otherwise I think we get stuck in, oh, it's all too hard, you know, I'm just going to go and watch The Crown, (laughs) you know, like I'm I'm bowing out. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I notice is the, specificity around messaging now yeah. like the one the ones i'm thinking about uh like after big sporting events you know yeah. the afl grand final the nrl grand final because they have good data that they are terrible times yes for, they are like you know family yeah. violence and yeah. they've able been able to do you know very targeted advertising and campaigns at least around it i don't mm. know i haven't seen the statistics to see if that's been effective or mm. not but mm. at least in acknowledging that it's not 
a one-dimensional thing and mm. it can happen at different times and maybe we can be dealing with like some of that like i mean it's a step forward it's just not mm. enough steps it's just not enough no and the most effective thing you can do and this is why i started writing kids books in the first place because i was emceeing all these bloody conferences with all of this stuff and they say over and over again the most effective thing you can do is talk to kids about gender roles and about um, challenging the rigidity of those things, about saying to little boys, yeah, of course, you're allowed to cry. Of course, it's okay. You know, and to little girls, yeah, you're going to get angry. That's okay. I mean, don't punch anyone, but yeah, feel angry. That's fine. When I'm asked now, so I get asked to do presentations and I try and be really pragmatic and I say what I do in my own work and in my own life is employ three strategies. One, the most common one is to just go, that's weird. Another one is to ask questions. And the third one, which is about five to 10% of the time would be blow shit up. Right. And when I was in my twenties, probably when I met you, I would be just blowing shit up. You know, I'd be like, right, you fucking, not you in particular, but you know, okay. I don't like that. I'm going to tell you why. This is how you're wrong, you know, blah, blah, blah. Now, there's a place for that, but it doesn't suit my personality for a start. And I also don't think it's very effective. So I think the better strategy is to literally every single time you see one of those gender roles perpetuated, just to note it. You know, so if I see with my kids, remember um, Will Smith did that interview with Jada Pinkett Smith last year and cried. And then there are all these TikToks going around and memes and whatever, making fun of him for crying. And I remember my older daughter, she's a teenager, showed me and I went, that's weird. Like, why would you make fun of someone for crying? Like that for me is a conscious intervention. It's more effective than me sitting her down and giving her a lecture on patriarchy. <laughs> it's just me over and over reinforcing the idea that boys and men are allowed to cry. In terms of asking questions, it'll be the same thing. So when you hear um, Scott Morrison hasn't read, you know, the dossier of the alleged rape victim, my view would be to go, why? Why do you reckon he hasn't read it? What does that say? Rather than you explaining, he's this and he's a misogynist and he doesn't care and he's a rape apologizer and da-da, which I think it has almost zero effect. If you're at that barbecue that you're talk, you talked about, ask them why. Why wouldn't he read it? Why wouldn't he take this seriously? Why wouldn't he engage? And then the blow shit up phase would be for me something particularly egregious. I save that. Like save your arsenal. You know, for if someone makes the two black eye jokes, okay, then I'll go in. I, I will throw a metaphorical punch myself then. But save that for when it's really needed rather than this kind of constant language policing which only alienates people it's an interesting perspective uh, very interesting uh hey we've done an hour and we haven't actually plugged yeah. what you hit a plug <laughs> so <laughs> i think we should finish the plug and then we can do some more questions and finish up sure. but we should actually finish the plug we yeah. started the plug an hour ago so yeah. we should finish the yeah plug. We, we this is what we do um well let's look the book's called some mums are fat moles and um I decided I did try and flog it to a few publishers and then as I said before there was getting quite a bit of pushback 
there's two possibilities one they didn't they thought it was shit the other one is that they're patriarchal and old and slow and i'm choosing to go with the latter so as I've done um, <laughs> with a couple of other books, I'm crowdfunding it through Possible. Is it crowdfunding? It's not really crowdfunding. It's pre-ordering basically. So I obviously want to make sure, and I know you're big on this as well, I, I make sure my illustrator, my designer, the other creative people involved are paid properly. So if you pre-order it, um, basically you give me enough money to pay them. And uh, then I get it printed and you'll have it in your hot little hands for Mother's Day. And it's, you know, it's cathartic. It's sweary. It's, um, I think it just gives permission, I hope anyway, to mothers to just go block out all that bullshit, reconnect with your intuition. And, you know, you do you, as they say, as long as you love that kid. And this is one of the lines in it. You know, if there's love and care, all mothers can be whoever the fuck they want. And I really subscribe to that theory. Like you can get so in your own head rather than just going, just love them. Just love them. Do it your way. Uh, Speaking of, you know, the Madonna whore thing and partly to do with what we endorse in regard to freedom of choice versus what is you know good for society or good for people there is a television program that i'd like your opinion on it's called married at first Sight. yeah <laughs> and i have never seen an episode i've watched i've i know what it is from when they talk about it on Gogglebox. so i've, I've seen enough of it to understand yep. what it is and it's oh, the I most popular television program on yes. australian television yes and i don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. Initially, if I'm just going on what my gut says, mm. I don't like it. Yeah. I feel like it's bad for society. Like yeah. my initial thing is I, I watch trash TV. Yeah. Who am I to judge? Yes. There's another part of me that's like, you know, people can choose to watch whatever. And yes. this is just, they make a show. You don't have to watch it. Like, yes. you know, it's got nothing to do with you. Yeah. But it kind of makes me sad and mad because yeah. I think that it celebrates people being awful or being forced to be awful by the awful situations that they're manipulated into. And it's really popularized as being something that you could aspire to or that, you know, you could become a celebrity through. And Mm. it's super like I work in the television industry and it makes me sad Mm. that there's so much good stuff that doesn't get watched get anywhere near yeah. as, much, uh, yeah. as much as Married at First Sight. Yeah. And then every yeah. other TV show seems to be just like some children's game they've made yeah. into It's a Knockout. Yeah. Like, like television yeah. has potential to change people's minds, to yeah. you know affect the way that people think or view society. But and you yet- know what? That To me, that's like Ottolenghi kind of going, you know, and I make all these beautiful vegan luxes and people <laughs> eat fucking McDonald's. Like, what's yeah, right. going on? It's true. Um, are you asking so, me that because you know I've blogged on it or is this just a random yes. question? Oh, okay. no, no, I mean, yeah, no, I'm, yeah. Look, I'm not a complete idiot now. Yeah. I, I might sound like I'm a complete idiot, but these things tend to come together. I can't I don't imagine you reading anything about. about Married at First Sight or indeed watching no, it. No, I was aware that you had a blog yes. and I was aware that you had some thoughts around I do. like whether it's good, bad or indifferent for society. And so I thought it was thematic to what we were also talking about. I thought I might. It's just yes. something I've been thinking no, about it a lot myself is. recently. So. I have mixed feelings on it. And I think the if I put my – so I did shows for, you know, 10 years um, with teenagers comedy shows about consent 
and no means no show, for example. And what I would say to parents is, you know, trying to ban something like married at first sight is like trying to ban wanking. You know, it's never going to happen. All right. So just say no doesn't work. So my view is engage critically. And interestingly, while I for one second do not want to endorse the program because I really do think particularly the presence of the health professionals is what tips it over the edge for me and I'll come back to that, but the, it is absolutely exploitative. But it also does provide what they call in respectful relationships teaching uh, teachable moments. So when you see, as is currently happening, um, this one guy who, oh my God, I mean, I can't even, how long have we got? But basically he has zero insight. So he reminds me of like when Tony Abbott nominated, him, nominated himself minister for women, you know, where you can, yeah, but I, I get the chicks, you know, I totally get it. Like, I think we're all, you know, they're nice. I mean, they don't all want to be leaders. Like it just like, let's just love them how they are. That's what this guy's like. So he thinks he's, you know, fucking bell hooks and he's an asshole. Now, what's interesting, I think, if you're watching with teenagers is to kind of look at the dynamics of the difference between what people say they're doing and say they're feeling and what they actually do. Um, And often those things are contradictory. So they lack insight into their own behavior. No one wants to think they're an asshole. No one wants to think they're controlling. No one wants to think that they're mean. But there's a real opportunity if you engage with it properly to go, geez, he shouldn't be talking to her like that. Or why did she speak to him like that? Or is that the kind of relationship you'd want to, Jesus, I wouldn't want to go out with her. Or that, you know, to actually start unpicking those kinds of dynamics because fuck me if you watch that show you'll see emotional abuse writ large because this is one of the big challenges isn't it when we talk about um, family violence we think of it as two black eyes in fact you know the iceberg that's the tip above the water underneath is the undermining and the the criticism and the put downs and the controlling behavior and all that stuff and you see that on Married at First Sight the big problem for me with that show as opposed to other shows which are a bit more frivolous like The Bachelorette and things like that you've got three fucking health professionals sitting there witnessing what is often clearly abusive behavior and still saying to the people so give it another week so why don't you try this? So can you see how he, what he was trying to do is this? There's such an opportunity there, Will, where they could, go, they could call it and go, this person is being abusive. You should leave right now. And they don't. And that is, for me, the most disturbing part. At the very least, they should have... Again, I've not seen the show, so I'm probably making... I've seen it all, mate. Seen off. it all. But... There's three judges, right? They should have like one honest judge. That's yeah. what they should have. One, one health, honest health expert. Like, do you mean like, like the yes. two that are kind of like, do you think you can work through this? They're yes. encouraging. But there's one who comes in and goes, this is just clearly emotionally yes. unhealthy. He's a terrible yes. person. Like, yes. you, do, you, don't, you don't need this in your life. Yeah. Like that would be better. Even and if you had one. then they still make their own choice. Even if they were mean. Even if you had one there going, mate, he doesn't, yeah. she doesn't want to root you. 
No. End of story. Walk away. Yeah. Do you know what she I mean? She likes you, mate, but she finds you repulsive. She You've finds you repulsive. <laughs> you breathe Move too on, loud. Mate. Move on. Yeah. You know, like it's just. You're not going to be able to breathe. Yeah. You're, not, you're <laughs> allowed again. breathing, mate. This is it. <laughs> You don't want this. But no matter how attractive you find it, find someone who's happy for you to breathe. That's right. You know what? There's a minimum <laughs> entry. In fact, I could do this. I'd be happy to go unmarried at first sight. And I think I'd be just I reckon real you honest. and I would do a better job than those three posts. Yes. I swear to God. Just to sit there and kind of, nah, move on. You'd nah. be better off with that one. This one's broken. Yeah. All right? Until they fix themselves. Let them go off and do their own thing. They're not terrible people. I don't want them to die, but you don't want to be in a relationship with this person. And what an opportunity to point out, you know, toxic's an overused word, but toxic behavior. And the sad thing for me, anyone who's worked in family violence will tell you that this is actually experience of a lot of victims of family violence when they go to relationships counselling and when they go to see psychologists there is a prevailing oh well you know they've got their side of the story you've got your side of the story maybe we can maybe if we worked on his stress levels you know he wouldn't do that or maybe if we worked on her history of trauma she wouldn't do that and you kind of go, oh Jesus this is you're playing a very very dangerous game here very so yes it is absolutely toxic they put very vulnerable people on. Um, they put people who clearly have issues with anger, um, if not violence, and other people who are really vulnerable. And it's on TV so that we can judge them and laugh at them. It's toxic. But because that's the other bit, isn't it? It is on TV so that we can it's absolutely look down it's our on. noses at them. Of course it is. It's the same. You know what? It's the equivalent of those shows which always baffle me as to why would you want to watch a show, you know, what are they called, like New Zealand cops or whatever. Oh, so you want to watch poor people get arrested? <laughs> you literally want to watch some poor bastard, and I mean literally poor, get busted for having a fucking smoke. Really? Right, and, and the reason that it is the poor people is not just because they are, they're overly discriminated against in yeah. terms of these crimes, but also because these shows operate on a model of if you let us use the footage we'll pay for your legal costs that's exactly right and so the people who are most likely to say yes i need the money to pay for this footage are going to be those who most need the money it's like the border and it's Mm. such a missed opportunity with married at first sight because i do think that they're some of them do you know they get dismissed as oh they just want to be insta famous or whatever i reckon some of them genuinely are on there because they want to find someone they're lonely they don't want to do the Tinder thing or whatever. Like there is something missing and they want to find someone and they trust these fucking experts. And wouldn't it be amazing if you really did have health professionals on there caring for them, trying to match them and guide them through their stuff? It, it would also be amazing TV. But instead we sit back and go, oh, thank God I'm not that bitch. You know, it doesn't say very uh, nice things about us, does it? It doesn't say great things about mm. us. I am asking a new question on the show. I've mm. got a new question in the uh, rotation. Hit me. Uh, you're only the third person that I've tried it on. Okay. Uh, I don't know if that'll. Be, I don't know if that'll be the chronological order. You may be for people <laughs> listening. Uh, you might be the first person who I've asked. Okay. It to, who knows? But uh, I'm going to ask it to you. It is based on 
uh, when people ask me about my various philosophies or whatever they are, there's uh, one that I know, I guess I've had for a very long time because it's on a piece of metal on my desk. It's like one of those little carved, yeah. you know, sort of like, you know, weight holder sort of thing, you know, weight things. And it's just yeah. on my desk. And it says, what would you attempt if you knew you could not fail? So the idea being it's meant to remind me to, you know, mm. not, not not think of the end result, you know, when I'm deciding what it is that I'm going to have a go at, you know, like don't let the expectation that it'll work or not work hold you back. So that's what it means to me. It doesn't need to mean that to you, but I would like to ask you the question, what would you attempt if you, if you were guaranteed of success, if you knew you could not fail? Um, Rap. Oh, that's a good answer. hundred percent. And I actually can, and I think it might be because you're sitting in front of me, but you got me onto that show. Speaking of our mutual love of shit TV, um, what was it called again? Because I've forgotten now. Rhythm and Flow. Rhythm and Flow. Um, and I absolutely loved it. And this is the real potential of those kinds of shows. Because I sat there as a, you know, 47-year-old um, fat mole mum in Melbourne uh, watching these Americans going, I reckon I could do that. Now, whether I could or not, I don't know. But it did actually inspire me to think about wanting to do something like that. And, oh, my God, if I could do it, oh, I would be thrilled. That's a really good answer. That's going to be hard to beat because I think <laughs> I'd never thought of it. But I think for me, rap would be way up there. Oh, as can you imagine? Can you like, imagine? I mean, fa- hip hop's my favorite genre in music, yeah. so it's probably not that surprising. Regular listeners will know that I love hip hop, but yeah. particularly a an era of hip hop that's sort yes. of like, you know, that sort of old school hip hop, yeah. and <clears throat> like a lot of modern stuff too. But that's just kind of my and that sort of great wordplay talking word about society. Play. Like, you know, what they can do with musicality. Yeah. Yeah, no. And I'm not for one second comparing my book to hip hop, but I'm trying to do the same thing in a way of just kind of going invert the narrative, you know. I mean, the title, Some Mums Are Fat Moles, come from the first heckle I ever got. Mm. You know, I walked out on stage at the hi-fi bar and someone yelled out, you fat mole, you know, and I so respect in hip hop the way that they have been able to take that kind of stuff and invert it and put it back on the abuser, frankly, and um, lampoon the abuser and the wordplay and, and that rapid fire. I mean, it takes me five minutes to introduce myself, Will. You know, when you get like three-minute spot on stage, I think, fuck, I haven't even bloody said hello in three minutes. I so respect people who can do that kind of rapid-fire wordplay. I would just die to be able to do it i mean maybe this is the new when the book becomes a smash hit like a rap version (laughs) maybe like on a wiggle like the wiggles (laughs) featuring nelly thomas and you come out like all missy elliott style and do your song some mums are fat moles i think that'd be great do you know what i almost and if he's listening i almost you know when you do that thing well you probably don't because you know a lot more famous people than me but i thought to myself the other day god i wish briggs would sing this this book and I thought, I'm going to bloody ring Will and get him to ask Briggs to do this. And I thought, no, I'm not going to put Will in this position. But you know what? If you leave this in and Briggs is listening, 
all I'm over happy it. happy to leave it in. All over it. And even it. if Briggs isn't listening, people who listen <laughs> could go, hey, Briggs, <laughs> yeah. did you hear about that really cool idea, man? <laughs> Power of the people. That's right. That's <laughs> he's right. only got about 4,000 things that he's doing. Oh, at I'm the sure moment. he's not. So busy I'm sure at he'll all. have the time. Yeah, he'd love to wrapped. do a book about fat moles. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> But yeah, maybe, you know what? Maybe one day I'll just fuck it. Maybe when we both turn 50. What's your thing, by the way? What's your thing uh, you're going to do? I mean, I don't know is the answer, mm. is the real answer. I don't know. I don't okay. know. I don't know at all what I'm doing at the moment is probably the most honest answer. I yeah. am trying to work out what I'm doing yeah. at the moment. I'm trying a whole bunch of different things yeah. at the moment and doing things in different ways and approaching my work and my work-life balance and the sort of projects that I'm doing in very different ways. And some of it feels very uncomfortable yeah. and hard because it's not the way that I've done things previously or I'm working on something in a way that I haven't previously. And yeah. uh, some of it feels hard because the world changed. Yes. I'll tell you something interesting. Uh, so so I'm out this year touring. Yeah. I'm doing two very different shows. I'm doing Willegal, which I've done, you know, for a few years now, yeah. but I haven't done a proper tour of for a couple of years. Um, but I'm also doing my improv show a lot, yes. like where I just go out and just talk to the audience, make stuff yeah. up. And that's been, both of those have felt really manageable. Mm. I did a gig in between where I did some material from last year's show that mm. would have, yeah, it was only a year old. Yeah. And I was not connected to it at, at all. all. So, yeah. I'm fine to do this old show that is one story because yes. you know, I can go to that moment, I can go to that story yeah. and I'm absolutely fine to be in the moment yeah. in the improv shows, like just like creating something in the moment. That's mm. great. But I don't know yet when I do like stand up, stand up, you mm. know, when I sit down and write a new show that here's, here's all those things that I've thought about and here is the way that I mm. would definitely want to express myself. I am still a long way away from... yeah knowing what that will look like yeah i, I know think what it won't look like we're in the in-between times yeah. aren't we i mean yeah. it's sort of yeah you've got to address covid but who wants to all that sort of stuff i mean when i heard you know you did i think two completely improvised shows in january didn't you um locally yeah. around your area and i thought oh my god i would rather stick pins into my testicles if i had them like the idea of doing an, an entire, um, what did you do, an hour, two hours, a shitload? Yeah, like the, nah, it's like 90 minutes normally. It's about 90, 90 minutes. minutes of completely improvised material. I mean, mm. I'd, I will rap before the joke I, I the joke I use in The joke <laughs> I use in the show, it's the only repeated line, but the joke I use in the show is always, I promise you 70 minutes of quality material no matter how long it takes. Yeah. <laughs> And so, <laughs> and so basically the techs know that around the 70 minute mark if i feel like i've gone pretty well i am looking for a way out of the show yeah. but I, I love to wrap it all together so i will keep going until i find the perfect way to end but it's very yeah. funny if you've watched the show a few times you yeah. can always see the point where i am trying desperately to find that thing to wind it up and bring it home it's, and if it doesn't work i just go all right well I have to recreate so a whole brave. new thing and see if that's it it actually is really just no it is really bright i remember i worked i know we've got to finish up but i directed which was a you know great privilege of my career directed maria bamford years ago mm. and we became really close and i remember her saying and she's an american comedian for those who don't know big deal and i remember her <laughs> saying to me um she couldn't believe that we all did a new hour every year 
she's like, what do you mean? You write a new show every year. And I'm like, yeah, like that's, that's just what Australian comedians do. You know, you put out a new hour every year, maybe at the most you might do it every couple of years. And she's just, she was completely baffled. She's like, we write an hour and we tour it for five years. And by the end of that five years, it's pretty good. You know, and in lots of ways, I mean, I'm retired from stand-up. I won't be doing it again. But it made me feel a lot better at the time thinking, fuck, we, our output is actually amazing. You know, like it by is, international yeah, standards, yes. it's incredible. The other side of that, I will say, is like I'm, I've been revisiting We're Legal because I'm, you know, restaging and I've revisited it. Um, I, it's, it's normally sort of an 80, 85-minute show. It has to be 70 for all the places that I'm playing. Yeah. So... I'm just going to, I'm just trying to streamline it and to streamline it, I've had to come to understand it better. And I thought in a way it was kind of partly because that show is, is kind of a distinct project anyway, but Mm. I think it would probably also apply to at least the stand up that you really like doing. Yeah. Jeez. Having the luxury to go back to a show, like the show is so much better already yes like just i understand it better yeah. i understand what i was trying to do better what the rhythm of it is better yeah what the connection between jokes i've found things that are clearly connected that i'd been doing that i just hadn't noticed like yeah. the audience might have noticed they were connected but i hadn't noticed they were yeah. connected and and like i do sometimes think okay do you give yourself the luxury going forward and that was partly why I was like, I'm not going to do a new show until next year is mm. like, start working on it now, start thinking about it now, really give mm. yourself the time. But then will I give myself the time after that to go and mm. then take a year or a year and a half or two years of touring it until it's as good as it can possibly mm. be? I think that one of the things that is undervalued about, you know, what Hannah did with Nanette mm. is that that show that is on Netflix, which is the show that, you know, took over the world you know captured a moment in the zeitgeist and introduced hannah as like a international comedy superstar i saw that at the melbourne comedy festival at the lower town hall yeah we saw it the same night very different yeah yeah very different show yeah it was still a really good show yeah 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 it was still a it had already won awards it was on its way to win the big award at the festival it was still an excellent show then but Mm. she she then went off and did it 200 more times that's right that's before right. she filmed and honed it. it over time and, and you could just see yeah. that in the yeah, show absolutely you could and i think that's what maria was saying like she was kind of saying um in a very beautiful you know maria banford way you're all mad like what are you mm. doing you just get it good and then you fuck it off <laughs> like how yeah. silly like i wonder but you know with you going forward maybe even just go all right every two years you know, even if it's right. not five, like, should I just keep touring that show? I mean, we don't have the same amount of audience here, obviously, as they do in America. Um, but there's something in it about just letting it kind of marinate. It's also just even the amount of shows. Mm. Uh, what are, one of the things that That's I'm true. doing this year is, you know, and partly it's COVID related, which is you, you're doing more shows because yeah. suddenly, you know, you can't, filter capacity of venue you're doing two shows instead of doing one show yeah and i think even that you know you get to that point you know partly because you're doing other things where you're like well let's go to brisbane for one night yeah and get the biggest venue that my audience pool can support and try to get them all to come out on the one night yeah 
Whereas Melbourne's never been about that for me. You know, yeah. like I've had years where I've sold, you know, 20,000 tickets in yeah. Melbourne. That's, you know, that's what three Rod Laver arenas yeah, if I yeah. wanted to, if, if you could get them all to come out on three nights. Yeah. But it's much better to do the show every night. Mm. I think I've forgotten the joy of that. I went to Canberra mm. for two nights, did Friday night, did Saturday night, did one show on the Friday night, did Will Eagle on the Friday night, did the improv show on the Saturday night. Mm. I was like, fuck, this is a nicer way to do it. Mm. In in the same place for two nights, some people mm. came to both shows, you're doing two mm. different things, get used to the venue. Like it mm. was fun. Mm. Settling so I think to it. Even, just even that, just mm. reimagining. I was talking to Kitty mm. on the podcast and she was talking about the way she tours, you know, every mm. she'll just do a weekend every two weeks sort of things, mm. you know, like mm. do four nights every two weeks and mm. then go home. And I was like, Oh yeah, that would be quite fun. Yeah. You'd look forward to it. Yeah, yeah. You'd look you forward would. to your four days away. You'd look forward to yes. the shows. You'd enjoy the shows. Yes. You'd you wouldn't feel like you were so I think there's a way to do more, but mm. do it smarter do it mm. in a more fun way and to take more more time you know that stuff you've been talking about a lot about you know covid and reimagining do you want to be on the road that much how much do you want to be at home um you know do what what do you want to put your energy into what projects all the rest of it i mean these things are open to us now all for conscious examination aren't they rather than just going that's what we do that's what we do Nah, you can do something else. All right, that's a good note to finish on. Thank you so much for doing the show. Great. It was fun as always. Very good chat. Thank Loved you. it. Thanks for having me.